I hope you are all well this morning. What a beautiful morning. Uh, you know, I feel lately like one of those little toys. You probably had them when you were younger that they're a car and you'd wind them up and set them down and off they'd go. You ever have that feeling in life that, that just it's, it's like, thankfully I have Sunday morning to get wound up and then Monday morning comes and it's away we go. I had one of those weeks this week. It seems like every week lately has been that. My wife and I, we uh, uh, got the keys to our first house this week and so have been, uh, got, got the opportunity to move in, and that's been a, a, a huge blessing for us, definitely, and thanks to Don Robertson for helping us out there, and uh, it, uh, it's, been, it's been a great week, it's been a crazy week, and uh, it is just good to be here with you. I, I don't know about you, but I get energized from Sunday morning. It's how I make it through the rest of the week, the time of worship together with my family and the time of refreshing of God's Word and the communion uh, is, is just what helps me to make it through. And, and so I'm excited to be here this morning to share God's Word with you, and I hope you're excited to hear, hear from His Word. So let's pray as, uh, as we start. God, uh, thank you so much for a great week. It's an uh, honor to be one of your children. And I just pray, Father, this morning as we come together to learn from your word that you will give us open minds and open hearts. I pray, Father, that as we we take in your word, that it won't just uh, uh, go in one ear and out the other, but that it will take residence inside of our heart, and that it will change who we are to be more like you. And so, Father, this morning we pray for that open heart, and we pray for an understanding of what you would have us know this morning. Please, Father, bless us as together, collectively, as a family, we worship and honor you through the study of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Well, we've been talking about the upper room discourse. Now we're in week, I believe it is three, of going through John 13 through 17, that final evening of Jesus' earthly life before the crucifixion, where he gathers together his immediate disciples. You know, he had a lot of people who followed him in his life, uh, his ministry life on earth. Uh, there were uh, people who followed him, th- crowds of thousands at time. There was about 500 of them who were kind of closely associated with him, but then there were the 12 that were his closest followers, the ones he poured his life intimately into. And so we have them here in this upper room uh, of his final evening before he is betrayed and arrested and taken captive and ultimately crucified. And so we pick up today in John chapter 14. Uh, we studied uh, John 13 where we, we found uh, Jesus on his knees washing the feet of his disciples, telling them about, uh, teaching them, showing them, demonstrating to them what real leadership is in his mind, and that is being a servant as you lead, right? Okay, and then uh, last week, we looked at John 14, the last half of John 14, where he's betrayed by two people very close to him. And we talked about how we ourselves in our sin often betray him, right? But thankfully, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so we have that hope, that assurance that he loves us, even in spite of the bad things we do. And so we pick up today in John chapter 14, 1 through 14, where Jesus uh, really decides to give some real clear reassurances to his, his disciples. Uh, he's preparing them for that moment. Uh, we have to remember that in, in, in the gospel, when it was originally written, there were not chapter divisions. Right? There, weren't, there wasn't chapter 13, then chapter 14, then chapter 15. It was all one, one uh, verse or one 
essay, one letter, one recollection of what had happened. And so sometimes we can get caught up and we, we create divisions in thought based on the chapter breaks, right? That's how we write letters and books. We, we start a new chapter, we start a new thought. But in this case, in John chapter 14, it's carrying over from 13 a thought that has already been started. There are no chapter divisions. Uh, those have been added much later in, in history. And so we have to read our chapter today, 14, our section 14, 1 through 14, in light of what Jesus has just done, the foot washing and the predicted betrayal of Peter and the actual betrayal of Judas. Martin Luther calls this passage that we're going to read today the best and the most comforting sermon that the Lord Christ delivered on earth, a treasure and a jewel not to be purchased with the world's goods. This, this is a great chapter, and you're going to hear some verses in here this morning that you'll probably remember, verses that have given you uh, comfort in times of difficulty, because that's what this purpose of this passage, especially this morning that we're going to read, is about is giving comfort to the disciples. So let's jump into it. John chapter 14. John 14, 1 through 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Son may be, bring glory to the Father. You may, you may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. So this is a great chapter. It's one, again, that uh, is filled with reassurances. And so this morning, I, I, as I was uh, preparing my message, I found five, um, five reassurances that we're going to look at. Okay? Five reassurances reassurances, uh, five uh, sayings of comfort that Jesus gave his disciples. The first one is found in verse 1, that very first one. Do not be troubled any longer. In, the, in my translation here, it says, do not let your hearts be troubled. And it just kind of ends it there. I added something on the end, because in the Greek, it actually says, do not be troubled any longer. Okay, it's saying, disciples, you guys, uh, you're, not, you're worried right now. You're troubled. You're confused. You don't know what's going on. You're in a state of trouble right now. Stop. Don't let it continue. So his first assurance to his, or, or command, like words of comfort, is don't be troubled any longer. Trust in God. Trust in me. It's interesting to me here that Jesus, on the night that he is getting, being prepared 
to be crucified, what does he do? He brings comfort. He brings assurances. Yet who's going to go through the crucifixion? Jesus. It seems like, in my mind, that the people that should be giving the comfort or the one who should be receiving the comfort is Jesus, and the disciples should be rallying around him, providing him strength, right? But it's just the other way around. Okay, he's the one providing comfort on this night. It reminds me of a uh, time when I was in, when I was in uh, high school. Uh, there was this teacher. I didn't have the teacher, but I remember uh, pretty clearly this teacher. He was a health teacher, and he was really popular. He was a young guy. Uh, everybody loved him. He was engaging. He was, uh, he was involved in coaching and PE, and, and he was just a lot of fun. I remember meeting him, and he was really engaging, very, very fun personality. And the students really connected to him. Well, towards the end of the school year, it, it came out that there was some budget problems and that the school didn't have uh, enough money to keep a teacher on that teacher's position for another year. And so it was announced that they were going to let him go. And so this, the students rallied behind him, and they staged sit-ins, and they protested to the school administration that how dare they let this teacher go. And the one who brought calm and comfort to the situation was the teacher himself. He came to the students and said, hey, this isn't personal. Calm down. You don't need to be doing this. So I appreciate what you're doing, but you need to be, everything's going to be okay. He was the one who was losing his job. He was the one losing the source of his income. Yet what did he do? He provided comfort to the kids. And this is what Jesus is doing himself. He's providing comfort to his disciples in his time of trouble. But he's telling them, do not be troubled. We can take that to heart, too. We'll go through times of trouble ourselves. God doesn't want us to be troubled. He doesn't want us to stay in that trouble. He wants us to listen to him, to trust in him as well. Here's the next one. Reassurance number two. Jesus will come back. In verses two and three, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. Jesus gives this assurance, this reassurance, that even though some bad things are happening, and I've told you that I'm going to be killed, I'm going to die on the cross, I've warned you, I want you to know that that's not the end of the story. That's not... The final chapter. There's more to this than that, right? I will come back. I'm going away. You can't follow me right now, but I will come back and get you. Trust in God. Trust in me. I've got this covered. Again, providing assurances to the disciples. Jesus didn't go to live in heaven alone. And that's what he's telling them. He went to prepare an inheritance for all of those who follow him. Last week, I referenced the parable of the sheep and the goats. you remember that? If you were here, you might have remembered that, that uh, Jesus uh, was, was, was telling a parable of taking the sheep and the goat and separating them. And part of them represented those who had helped him out, who had served him when he was in need, and those who hadn't. Uh, well, uh, Matthew twenty-five thirty-four says this about those who had helped him out, those who had served him in his time of need. It says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Hey, Christ, when he left, says he goes to prepare a place. He goes to prepare our inheritance to be with him. 
There's a book I read many years ago uh, by Randy Alcorn. He's a great author. If you ever have the chance to read some Randy Alcorn stuff, I'd highly recommend it. He, he wrote a series of books about heaven. They're fiction series, uh, but, but Deadline and Dominion and a couple others. I can't remember off the top of my head. But he had this illustration in, in, in the book that I just loved. And he said, if God created the heavens and the earth as we know them in six days... Uh, and, we, and we look around and we see how amazing and how beautiful and what a wondrous creation it was in six days. And it says that Jesus, who created the very world that we know, went to prepare a place for us and has been gone for 2,000 years. How much greater is that place going to be? And I, I love that. I love that illustration. And that's what he's trying to tell his disciples here. I'm going to prepare a place for you that's so much better than what you're going through now that these troubles that are around you mean nothing. We have assurances and reassurances that Jesus will come back and give, uh, to give us an eternal inheritance. And assurances and reassurances that he will take us to where he is. Here's the next one. Reassurance number three. They know the way. Okay, they know the way. He said, you know what? You're in the middle of trouble. Don't be troubled. I'm going away for a little while, but I'm going to come back and get you. And guess what? You know how to find me. You know where it's going. And that's kind of interesting because Thomas himself in verse 5 says, uh, wait, uh, Jesus, hold on just a second. Um, we don't know where you're going. <laughs> we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Hey, Thomas, doubting Thomas, right? We, we've learned about him in the past. We know that uh, he speaks up. And actually, we find him earlier in, in uh, chapter 11, verse 16, in the story of Lazarus where Jesus first hears word of Lazarus dying or being sick, and, and he's, he's mourning and he's preparing to go to, 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 to help him possibly. And, and Thomas says, well, we'll go along with you to our deaths. Okay? He's kind of the Eeyore of the, of the disciples. All right? Oh, bother. Here we go. Let's go to our deaths. Well, here we kind of find him that same way. Well, Jesus, we don't know where you're going. How can we get there? You know, it's, some, it's a simple, shallow question that really misses the point of what Jesus is trying to communicate. Uh, he says, I don't know where you're going, and I don't know the way. Because you've got to remember, I mentioned this before, and if you've ever heard me t- teach over John and the disciples uh, in the past, you know that there's a big disconnect in the hearts and the minds of the disciples. We mentioned it last week just a little bit. They still think, they still have this hope that Jesus is establishing an earthly kingdom. Right, but Jesus wasn't here. He was something. He was here to establish so much greater of a of an entity, a thing than an earthly kingdom. He came to establish a spiritual kingdom that would be eternal, not just a temporary earthly kingdom. And so, when when Thomas hear that Jesus, hears that Jesus is going away, he's thinking, "Well, where's he going? Um, Galilee? Is he going uh, to Caesarea? Where's he going? I don't know where you're going. How can I know to get there if I don't know where you're going?" Right? He still doesn't get it. He still doesn't get it. So Jesus answers him. What does he say? Thomas, you know the way. What? I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And one of my Bible commentator, commentaries, the Expositor's Bible commentary, says it this way. It says that this statement, this assurance, is the most far-reaching and provocative statement ever made by Jesus. That he is the way that he is the only way to the Father. 
This is a statement that differentiates us as Christians from all other religions. It's a definition that narrows down what it takes to get to heaven. And so there are those in this world, there are, there are the voice is loud that says that this is a very narrow-minded way of thinking, right? Have you heard that? That Christians are narrow-minded because they believe that Jesus is the only way to get to heaven. The only way to get to God the Father. Narrow-minded? You know what, I'm okay with that. Okay? Maybe the broad definition of narrow-minded I don't like. But in this case, I'll take it. I'll take that label. Because you know what? Truth is narrow-minded. Right? Truth is narrow-minded. Because truth is, there's only one truth to, to the matter. Okay? Lies are broad-minded. Right? Uh, untrue facts are broad in their definition. Truth is very narrow. And always has been. So when Jesus says that he is the only way to the Father, if that means I'm narrow-minded, I'm narrow-minded. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, it says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. Truth is narrow. Truth is specific. And Jesus is saying, I am that truth. And you know it. Thomas, you know it. You know how to get to the Father. It's directly through me. Here's the fourth one. Reassurance number four. The believers will do greater works than Jesus himself. Believers will do greater works. And that's found in verse 12. It says, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. In, in the ESV, the English Standard Version uh, of the Bible, I use the NIV when I preach up here because most people use that. And, uh, and over the years, as I've taught kids and youth especially, they use the NIV. Uh, but the English Standard Version is a great translation. And it says it as this way, whoever believes in me. Whoever believes in me. And that phrase in the New Testament is found in several different verses. One of them is John chapter 6, verse 35. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Remember that verse? How about this one? John seven thirty-eight. Whoever believes in me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. John eleven twenty-five. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Or John chapter twelve forty six, whoever believes in me will not remain in darkness. Whoever believes in me. Okay, this is one of those where, where sometimes teachers of the Bible will look at this and say, this is a promise that's only for the disciples. It's only for those that Jesus was teaching in that upper room. Okay, but what does Jesus himself say? Whoever believes in me. Anybody that believes in me will do greater things than these that I have done. Why is that? What are these greater works? Some people believe that it's miracles, but I personally don't believe that he's talking about miracles, or at least the miracles that we would define by Scripture. Uh, supernatural gifts. Yeah, I don't believe that that's what he's promising to believers. Uh, Matthew chapter 9, verse 5 alludes to what Jesus sees as really important. Not the miracle, miracles that heal the outward body, the physical body, but the miracle that takes place on the inside. In Matthew chapter 9, verses 5 through 8, it says, Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? 
But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, get up and take your mat and go home. Then the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God who had given such authority to man. Why did Jesus use physical miracles, the healings, that type of thing? Why did he use those things? It was to show his authority over spiritual matters. So what was the point of healing that paralyzed man? Was it to really heal his legs and make him walk again? Or was it to heal his heart, his spiritual being, to bring spiritual healing? Jesus used miracles to prove his authority. But what he really cared about was the spiritual state of the people that he ministered to. I believe that the purpose of this statement right here, that believers will do greater works... It's about what's going to happen in Jerusalem when Peter and the apostles finally get to work just a short time later, a few weeks later, right? Uh, Thousands, thousands came to know the Lord in one day when Peter stood up on the temple steps and gave the first sermon found in Acts chapter 2. Jesus' teaching and discipleship were fairly limited in their scope. right? He ministered mainly to 12 men. He taught thousands at a time. He uh, spoke to hundreds in a group but what he really ministered to was 12, right? Well, the apostles, they would take what Jesus had done individually in their lives and through the amazing miracle of spiritual transformation that comes from the Holy Spirit, they would step it up a notch as they spread the word, God's word, to the world around them. So when we're promised, and I believe that we are promised, that we as believers will do greater works than Jesus It isn't saying that we're going to go around preparing miracles for people. But we get to experience the miracle of a transformed heart. And that's what we're trying to do in this community. That's why we're a church. That's why we exist in this location is so that we can bring this message to our community. Right? I hope so. I mean, I hope that that's why you're here is to bring Jesus' love and a transformed heart to everybody that we meet. All right? Here's the fifth reassurance. Reassurance. That's going to get hard to say throughout the day. (laughs) He will answer believers' prayers, believers' requests. In verse 13 and 14, it says, He will, I'm sorry, it says, And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Again, this is one of those verses that people take out of context, and they kind of use it as that Christmas wish list to Jesus. And they think that if I say in Jesus' name, Jesus says he's going to give it to me, right? Okay, that's not really the point. It's not just any whim that we may have. It's not just any desire of our own heart. I read a commentary this week. It said that about this specific uh, promise that this means, it says, this means as my representatives on earth, as per- persons doing my work, living in my spirit, seeking as I have sought to do the will of the Father, it follows from this, that personal petitions are not contemplated here, except as far as they are for the glory of God. The glory of God. In my opinion, what he's talking about here is putting your prayers to the glory test. That's how I heard it said one time. Putting your prayers to the glory test. Why are you asking that? Why are you requesting that? Is it for your glory, something that's going to improve your life, or is it for the glory of God? Because that's what Jesus is talking about. Those requests that we are making on His behalf for His glory and not our own. And so sometimes I think maybe we don't 
get those prayers answered because we ask them with the wrong motives. It's for his glory. So if you're in doubt over that verse especially, put those prayers to the glory test. Whose glory is that request for? So here we have our five reassurances. Do not be troubled any longer. Jesus will come back. We know the way. They know the way. We know the way. And the believers will do greater works than him and that he will answer our requests. Those are great assurances. And I, we all need reassurances. I need reassurances constantly. Uh, we're all in the same boat. We as a body here need reassurances. We need those things to be on our hearts and on our minds. Because there's been a lot of changes here, right? Lately especially. We've had a lot of changes at Southside. A year or so ago, we purchased a new piece of property. And that brought with it a lot of change. It was unsettling for some. Growth brings with it change. The idea of relocating is very exciting for some of us, and it's very scary for others. Some of you may like the idea. Some of you may not be so fond of it. Aaron Wagamot preached here for 11 years, and I'm on week number five. My being at front, my, my preaching, represents change in the body of Southside. How I preach, how I teach, how I communicate is different than Aaron. And some of you may like those differences, and some of you may not be so fond of them. Let's be honest. We've just hired a new worship pastor. That's change. We've never had one of those before. What Doug brings to us is different and new, and a lot. it's not like what we're used to, right? And we don't know yet how we will like those changes. You may like them. You may not. And I guarantee you, there's more changes ahead, right? Because like I said, growth dictates change. You might echo Thomas's sentiments found in verse 5 when he says, Lord, um, we don't know where you're going. Or maybe you're thinking to yourself right now, Lord, we don't know what's going on here, right? But God has placed over this group, this group, this body, a group of men, the elders, who are really doing a remarkable job in the middle, middle of a difficult situation. Jesus was placing these 12 men, these disciples, over his flock for their care. And he has placed elders over this flock for our care. And I just want to give you some assurances, some reassurances, that they are good men. Uh, they devote their leadership to the Lord daily in prayer. They seek his guidance in all of their decisions. They wrestle with issues, examining every angle. And they do their best to make decisions in the wisdom that the Lord has provided for them. And I want to make a personal request to you, that you trust them. They are men who seek to follow Jesus first and lead second. And that's exactly how it should be. This is the type of leader that I want to follow. And I want you to feel the same way. Trust in Jesus Trust in God and trust in who he has placed over this body because they desire to lead this family very well. I want to leave you with a couple verses this morning. The first one is Proverbs 19.21. It says, Many are the plans in the mind of men, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. The purpose of the Lord is what will stand. We can dream, we can have goals, we can do all of that, but if it isn't God's purpose, then we don't want any part of it, right? Here's the second one, 1 John 4.4. 4. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, 
For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Okay, and that's one of the best assurances we could ever hope to have. That the one who lives inside of us, that spirit that came when our heart was transformed, like I mentioned earlier, is so much greater than anything else. It has so much more influence than anything else. It's something internal. When all of that is around us, save the people that will be spending eternity with us, are temporary. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In just a few minutes, uh, the elders are actually going to come forward. They have a a message for you guys today. They'd like to share some some stuff with you. And they're going to do that here in just a little bit. But before we get there, I want to do our take at home. Uh, Our take at home. I have three of them for you. There's one that I'm going to ask you to write in your bulletin. Because uh, this week, Julie is out of town. She's uh, down at a conference about communication. And I didn't communicate with her beforehand. So she's going to come back and teach me how to do that better. But uh, So we only got two of them in your, in your bulletin this morning, but there's actually three. Here's the, here's the, the, the two are, memorize the October verse of the month, Romans 5.8, and pray daily for the elders of Southside. I'm going to challenge you to do those two things. Pray for our elders, because they desire your prayer support as they try to lead well. Uh, pray for them daily. Memorize our October verse. And then here's the other one. Spend time this week searching the scriptures. For verses that give us assurance and reassurance. And I have some. I'm going to tell you to write these down. Write these down. Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. I'm not going to tell you what it is. This is your job to go look it up this week. Here's another one. Romans 4, 18 through 25. Oh, this one's going to be tough. Romans chapter 8. The whole chapter. It's like I could have just sat up here this morning and read Romans chapter 8 and we probably would have been not better off, right? And here's the last one. 2 Corinthians Chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Okay, take some time this week and read those to gather that assurance, that reassurance that we need, that comfort that God provides. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We're thankful uh, for your love for us because it's because of your love for us that we're here today. It's because of your love for us that we can even love you. And Father, we're, we're just grateful that we have each other here this morning to worship together with, to care for each other with, to just serve our community together with. And so we ask, Father, for the comfort that you promise us. We ask for the assurances that, that you've given us today to be on our hearts and our mind. And I just pray that as we go away from here today, that these things will dictate our very thoughts inside of our head, that they will influence the decisions that we make. Uh, They will have an impact on the conversations that we have with the people around us, at work, at home, wherever it may be. And that even the thoughts of our head, inside of our head, will be more aligned with your will than they were before. As the word says, may the meditations of our heart and the words of our mouth be pleasing to you this week. In Jesus' name, amen.